Blog Talk Radio. It's already done. It's the Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast with host Tyra Little. We're live Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This show deals with personal and community issues by getting to the root cause and causes on an open and raw level. We're unpacking emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical topics that influence and often control us. Get ready to unload, examine, and process. Let's get unpacked on Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Hello, and welcome to Pressure Points Unpacked, where we are transforming Tuesdays spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. I'm your host, Tyra Little, and my co-host for the month of August is licensed professional counselor, Shamik McPherson, who is the founder of Clear Vision Counseling, and Elder Shepherd Drayton Jr., who's the missions pastor of New Refuge Church in Pauley's Island, South Carolina. Today, our guest is Mrs. Polly Shepherd. Mrs. Shepherd is a survivor of, one of the survivors of the traumatic shooting in Charleston at Emanuel AME. So right now, you know, as I always say, let's get unpacked as we talk about the being resilient through your grief. So I want to start off by saying, Mrs. Polly Shepherd, I thank you so much for joining us on today. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to talk about yourself. Um, hello, my name is Polly. I'm the mother of four young men that was born in Florence, South Carolina. I'm a graduate of Wilson High School and went to practical nursing school in the career um, school. Uh, I worked at St. Francis for 15 years, and then I worked to the county jail for another 15 years. It just happened to be the county jail where Dylan Roof was taken to after the um, massacre. And someone asked me, could I take care of him while he was there? You know, we all take an oath. And you mm-hmm. have to take that oath kind of seriously. So I, I, I'm sure I could have taken care of Dylan um, with ease. Uh, I... Um, I certainly believe in God, and I know he can guide me in any direction that he would want me to go. So I trust in him thoroughly. And that's all. That's about all it is about me. Just ordinary housewife now. Retired. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Um, that's a lot to say, um, but it just shows your resilience. It shows who you are and your strong belief in God that, um, that you honor the oath that you have taken um, and that you said that you actually could take care of him, you know, knowing of what he did to you all. Um, I know that you had to have, you know, you lost some friends there. Um, tell us a little a little about, about that, your friends that you've lost. Um, I lost, I lost nine friends. I consider Reverend Pinkney a friend because he was, like 41 when he came. And that was about the age of, of my son. So I took him as a child, as an adult, but as one I could look to as 
would take um, information from me. I'd take a little bit of guidance from me as I listened to him, you know. Yes, um, ma'am. That was, um, Rhonda Singleton was a great preacher. All, we all tried preachers that night. Hmm. It was Reverend Simmons, who was an older gentleman like me. And it was Myra Thompson, my best friend, and trustee pro tem, who was in charge of me and who would give me duties to do. And there was Reverend Depain Milton Doctor, who was coming over from the Baptist Church. And um, another preacher. Was that five? Did I do five preachers? And four members, Susie Jackson. One of our older members, Ethel mm-hmm. Lance, who was the who was the sexton at the church, um, Tawanda Sanders, who was the youngest in there, and Cynthia Hurd, who was a librarian. Now Tawanda had just finished out of university. All three of the men in there finished out of university. We had two working on a doctoral degree, Reverend Pinkney and Sharonda Singleton. Um, it was a group. The cream of the crop. I mean, very nice people. Yes, very yes. nice and spiritual, but then who you could take guidance from mm-hmm. and that would kill that night. And it was almost all of our spiritual strength in the church. Wow. Um, but Myra was mainly my best friend. Wow. Who would wow. Take, give you the shirt off of her back. Yeah, I mean, we would be in the street, and Myra would pull money out of her pocket and give the people in the street. I said, sometimes, girl, you're going to get hit in the head. She said, well, I go where God leads. And she said, give it, I give. Right. That's just the type of person she was. She was a teacher, a counselor, and she was going back to school for something else. She had a, a degree in reading, counseling, and regular teaching. So she was, she was just all around. Uh, and that's the main thing I lost all my friends. So I was uh-huh. kind of left. I was kind of left, and I felt kind of guilty, wondering why God had left me, you know, mm-hmm. in the middle. But he always had something for you to do. Right. But and right. I used to tell in speaking, going around speaking, actually, he didn't take me because I had too much baggage. He had some more work to do on me. He wasn't ready for me. So he left me here to mm-hmm. tell a story. I tell the story of Dylan, but to tell us the story of how good God is and what he'll do for you um, when you need him the most. Yes, ma'am. And in, in saying what you just said when you mentioned about the story of Dylan, um, I watched another one of your um, interviews that you had did, and um, there was something that you said that Dylan actually to you um, after after shooting um, your other friends, the other members of the congregation. Could you you mind sharing that with us? Yes, I was under the table praying, and I thought I was praying to myself, but actually I was praying aloud because when he got to me. He stopped and he said, shut up. Did I shoot you yet? And I said, no. He said, I'm not going to. I'm going to leave you here to tell the story. 
So I'm wondering what you actually saw. The FBI asked, um, there was an older lady under the table, why didn't you shoot her? He said, I couldn't shoot that old lady because she was looking at me. So I'm wondering what did he see? Mm. I see a bad angel. He saw something because he stopped dead in, in his track. And he said, I heard you. I knew you were here all the time. And I could have shot you any time. But I didn't. And I could hear this voice under the table telling me, be still. Be still <laughs> and know that I am God. But I wasn't still for one minute. Ooh. So, you know, but I'm, I, I know um, so I was in that room because it was a light in that room. That almost like we were in a twilight. Hmm. It's something you can't explain. Yes, ma'am. If you hadn't seen, you really can't explain it was the light in there. And I thought it was just me. But wow. it came from under the table talking about that same light that was in the room. So I know that God was in there with us during yes, that ma'am. time. Whew. Wow. You gave me chills, Miss Polly. <clears throat> wow. I tell you what, you are definitely, definitely um, the example of resilience. Um, and with that, I'm going to go to, um, wow, I'm going to go to Shamik. I'm coming to you um, so you could give us some examples of resilience. Well, um, th- thank you for having having me, Tyra. And um, as you said, um, the Shepherd's story is a very, very powerful one. And um I think that when we think of what happens at the Emmanuel Church and also uh, the response of of the people, of the community, of the church, of the survivors, and everyone um, after that process, we have great examples of what resilience really is. Um, And, you know, if we think of resilience, the definition is, the ability to adapt successfully in the face of adversity, trauma, significant threats, loss, and and different life obstacles. And when we look at resilience, we can see resilience in a number of different ways. We can see resilience uh, from an emotional perspective, how we manage ourselves emotionally. We can be uh, emotionally resilient in many ways. We can be physically resilient. You sometimes see people who may have suffered a a heart attack or a person who may be overcoming a battle with cancer, and they just bounce back and recover. It's like you never knew that they had this particular health issue. So some people are physically uh, resilient. Then we can can look at community resilience, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. After the shooting at Emmanuel, after that tragedy, after that fateful day will be lost, nine souls where um, these people were the cream of the crop. They were the strength of the church. We can look at uh, the fact that, you know, like she said, God still had work to do on her, but they were ready. Those those people were ready. Mm. So we can look at the community response to what happened, uh, what Dylan meant for evil, God turned into community resilience. Uh, we saw the Charleston Strong uh, drive that came after it. 
that um, people join together to say, like, he's not going to get what he wants in this situation. We're not going to fight each other. I hopefully, you know, think that we can go back to that because we've started fighting each other a lot, haven't we? But yes. uh, after after that incident, we saw community resilience with the Charleston Strong. We often see a lot of community resilience after we experience mass violence issues and other traumatic issues, but for some reason, it often dissipates. So we, in, in our resilience-building efforts, we have to learn how to strengthen that and how to shore it up. Uh, but then we have what we consider um, psychological resilience. And that's the mental toughness and fortitude to withstand and adapt to uncertain challenges and adversity. And to be able to um, identify your emotions and think your way through different situations. So each person may be resilient in one way or another. And then there's some people that struggle overall with their resilience. Right, right, right. Eldership, um, as I listened to Mrs. Polly, um, I, I have to wonder, and, and, I, and I am going to, I got another question that I want to ask, um, I want to ask you, Ms. Polly, but when I listened, um, just in her, the statement of saying that if she had to treat, you know, Dylan in her profession as a nurse, that she would be able to do that. Um, just from the different things that you've experienced in life and just with people dealing with tragedy, you being in ministry, um, how do you, I know you've, you've probably seen this before, and sometimes you hear people that say, well, they're saying it now because they don't understand what has hit them. But as I'm listening to Miss Polly, it's, and not to say that the other people are not sincere when they're saying it, but it's like something happens. I, I can I can hear in her that she's genuine with that because we're talking about a couple of years down the road, and this is what you're still hearing from her. Um, so my question is, how do you minister to individuals when sometimes, say, for instance, that, that fade away? because they hype themselves up too soon by saying that, hey, I forgive. Got it. <clears throat> well, first, I would I want to say to Ms. Shepard that I applaud you. I, I, my, I, I'm blown away. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you hear her voice, you hear the voice of a senior person speaking through, through tragedy, and it, it's evident, you know, that she has found – a true relationship with God. And and she even stated that early on, that her relationship with God is real. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes you have to really discern where a person um, is in their spiritual walk when they make such statements. Uh, rather that statement is made too soon or rather that statement is made from a place of true understanding of what they're about to face. Um, and sometimes you can you you can pinpoint that uh, what Miss Shepherd said early on um, about her relationship with God was one of the things that she wanted people to know first of all before you know what I went through before you know who I am I want you to know 
that I love the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that is not always the case. We have a lot of people who go to church, but they have not learned how to become the church. And in that, you get a lot of people making premature um, proclamations about their stand or where they are. And you have to be real careful and try to, um, uh, you know, in conversation, try to really see where they are. And the, the safest thing to do is try to give them as much wise counsel that you know and um, and hope that if they do fall from their proclamation or what they have declared, they have something to land on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's, that's good. That's good. That's good stuff. Um, Ms. Polly, and I don't want to sound kind of redundant because you, you partially answered this, but um, I know you said that you, you felt that, you know, that there were still things that God had, you know, work, work to do on you. Um, but let me ask you this, at any point, because you answered as far as, you know, a lot of times it's, you know, do you question God? But I know you also said that um, you wondered, like, you wondered, um, well, I'm trying to think of how to ask this, because um, Elder Shepherd kind of said to, um, you know, the, the other ones, they, you know, they, they were ready to go. Um, but let me ask you, has this, how has this impacted your spiritual life? I guess that's 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 the question. I mean, I hear you. I know you're strong. I know you believe in God. Um, but how has this impacted your spiritual life? Uh-uh. Miss Polly, are you there? Can you hear me? Now I can. Yeah, it, I, I was spiritual in the beginning. I had faith in the beginning. I'm the mother of four young men, and I had to pray every time they went out. So my faith has always been strong. Um, but after this, this is a different. Mm-hmm. It's a difference in me. It's a difference. I see the world in a different light now. It's things I used to do mm-hmm. that I can't do anymore. I don't even think on that level anymore. And I had to go to this. Now, when this thing happened, I wasn't so forgiven. I was in here feeling sorry for myself and wondering why God left me. You know, it's a thing to see nine people die. And in the middle of it, I got up to see whether I went into my nurse mode to see whether I can, can help anybody. But before I could get to the third or the fourth person, Felicia came from under that table. I thought she was dead um, under that table. And when she came through, it surprised me. It shocked me. And she called me to help her with her son, so I was headed back there. But the cops came in. But now I had to get to the forgiveness stage. I didn't jump, just jump to the forgiveness stage. I had to go through a phase. In that courtroom, it was Nadine. And Reverend Thompson, who forgave, not even Felicia. Felicia said, may God have mercy on your soul. Mm-hmm. But I, I was here, and I had to go to this, and, and God had to do some talking to me. He dealt with yeah. me while I was going through um, 
all this that shit, all this myself. It was about me, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. So I had to grow. I had to grow. I had to go to counseling, and I had to grow to the stage of forgiveness because I wasn't so willing to forget to forgive in the beginning, even though I was spiritual. Yes, ma'am. But after a while, after I forgave, and God started talking to me, I started really changing. And I realized things, events can happen to bring you over to God. You have to know who the manager is of your time mm-hmm. and space here on earth. And you have to accept what God gives you to work with while you're here on this side. Ooh. Looking for the resurrection on the, you know? Mm-hmm. So I wasn't, I wasn't at that. I, I grew to that space, that, that more spiritual stage. So it wasn't in the beginning. I went through those brief stages. I wasn't so depressed. But those other ones, I had to accept, actually, what happened and why it happened. And know that God is always in charge. He's always in charge. No matter what happens, he's in charge. I had to come to that. But now that I'm there, I'm a happy, a happier soul. Now that I've come to that realization, you know. Yes, ma'am. Wow. And I think I was gonna skip around that question to ask. I'm so glad that I did, um, man, because the wisdom that you just imparted on that. I mean, wow, wow. Um. So. Well, you kind of you you answered you answered that one also. Really, um, I was gonna say, you know, besides your faith, after your experience, what helped your what helped you harness your mental toughness? But you said it, you know, you went to counseling. You, um, you know, you had to help. You had to get help with managing managing through this. Um, wow. I'm I'm blown away, Miss Miss Polly. I mean, I, I thank God for you being on here today. Um, wow, just you know, I'm always grateful to be in a space where I can, you know, hear from wisdom. But um, yeah. Miss Polly, you 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 are a powerful soul, man. God has God has really done some things in your life, and you can you can hear it. Um, Tamik. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. I'm just, I mean, you know, out of your time of counseling people, um, and just dealing with the many different levels, um, because you deal with more than, than just grief. Um, but from hearing just the, the level of, of strength that Miss Polly, um, possessed, I mean, have you, have you ran across, is this kind of an exception to the rule? You know what? I think I think that it is. I, I think mm-hmm. that Miss um, Shepard's story is very, very inspiring, and um, her resilience is one to be measured in the textbooks. Um, I, I know Miss Polly on a personal level, so mm-hmm. I have been in her presence on more than one occasion where um, I've witnessed her interact with other people. And um, one of the things that we know about when people have experiences like she did where 
you are in a very traumatic situation where you where you witness an assault, where you you know you're victimized by someone mm-hmm. personally. You witness them, you know, you witness them take the lives of your friends and and church members, and then you sit in a court with this person and go through a whole trial with them, and you have this experience. Uh, many people are left frazzled with just the thought of it, right? Mm-hmm. And I have seen Ms. Shepard be resilient through that. I've seen her engage people in public, people that on a normal circum- in normal circumstances that may trigger her. Mm-hmm. Um, is she, you know, she, she's unfazed by it. She's open to engaging people. She's open to the process of telling this story. And I, I think it's a very profound statement that um, that young man said that I want you to tell what happened, and she's telling exactly what happened, but she's telling God, she's telling it by God's standards what happened. Mm-hmm. And so I have resilience in that. I don't, you, you, I don't see that every day. Um, in, in counseling in the therapeutic environment, a lot of people come into therapy when they actually finally decide that they are so broken they cannot can no longer go on, and mm-hmm. it's because that resilient factor is just not something that they could harness for themselves. It's not something that they built up over time. So mm-hmm. her story is is one that is very different, and and even Elder Shep. Uh, Elder Shepherd and the Drayton family, um, their story is very different also because, you know, you know, and I, I think that a lot of people that have this experience, they actually find a lot of purpose after it. And I'm a mm-hmm. firm believer that God never allows something to happen to you without using that as a tool to help someone else. So right. um, I, I believe even Elder Shepherd has used this situation um, to be more resilient, to help others, to to, to let the uncle's story be one that pulls someone out of the depths of where they may be, that they may be in the quicksand of life and they may be sinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Um, and as you said, when you just segue to um, the Drayton family and, you know, their loss, um, the next question was going to be, you know, um, each of us, myself, Eldership, um, Mrs. Polly, um, have each experienced a very, very, very public losses um, and had to deal with the publicity, the attention. And um, I guess I, I want to ask um, Ms. Polly, did, did this, was that by being so public, um, did you find that as a challenge to your healing process? Or did it hinder uh, or advance your healing process in any way? It was challenging. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I never did public speaking. So, and I never wrote a speech. So I said, well, what am I going to say? So when I go to different places, I usually engage with one person. I pick one person in the audience that looks kind of receptive to what I have to say. And I'll pray, Lord, all right, you got me here. You brought me to it, and I know you'll bring me through it, and you to do. So I lean on him thoroughly for everything. Mm-hmm. My thoughts mm-hmm. and everything. I was at a Jewish synagogue, 
and I was talking about Paul and Christ. And you know, I think they believed that Christ hadn't come yet. So one of the people got up and walked out, but there was a lady there that started crying. And this lady, I found that had lost her twin brother in the massacre. And she had never cried until until then. She wrote me a letter not too long ago saying how um, I opened her eyes to the healing process. Wow. And they, they, a lot of times they want to know how long it's going to take them mm-hmm. to get over I said, sometimes you'll never get over it. That's right. But God will teach you to deal with it sometimes. Sometimes some people just like being in grief. Mm-hmm. But then you have some who's receptive and they take it and, and go from there. So it's according to you. That's right. And God, when you'll come out. That's right. But you have to That's trust right. God. And you will come out on the other side. Amen and that. Amen to that. Elder Shep, um, in looking at this question and just, you know, and as I said, that all of us have, have, have suffered very public losses, but um, with with you all, um, you know, just the, the, the constant, the attention, the, you know, the publicizing of, of Bianca, um, how did that – did that hinder, do you think that hindered your healing process anyway, or do you think that it helped to advance any of your healing process? I really, I really believe for us it was a hindrance um, because not only are you dealing with the public, but you have to um, at least understand what the public is trying to do um, where they're trying to go with things, and you have to deal with that, which takes time away from you dealing with what you're going through and what your family is going through. At the, at the same time, you're trying to protect your family's interests. And so there's a lot of work when it comes to dealing with with, with a situation that, like this publicly, and that work takes away from the time that you need in the process of healing and getting the counsel that you need, those things. And so it's almost like, you know, being at a traditional wake in the community and, you know, you got people around you, but then they're gone and then you feel the loneliness and you feel the the um, impact of the loss. But in our case, the wake is uh, – uh, much bigger and much longer. And so you're never really left alone to deal and to feel those things, you know, for a longer period of time. So it takes away from that healing process. Wow. You know, you know, Tara, the thing that, the thing that stands out between, you know, these experiences is, is the fact that we, we kind of talked about this when we were discussing traumatic grief is how we have become so um, desensitized to to um, the, the the loss, the public loss in certain situations that we have turned it into, you know, the entertainment part of what we see and experience every day. I was just reading the news um, and, you know, we lost, 
um, I, I believe it was about 13 or 14 of our military servicemen, um, many of which who were in the Marine Corps. Uh, shout out to Marine Corps. My husband is a Marine. Shout out to Yancey McPherson, Sergeant McPherson. He told me I better say his name. <laughs> but um, we we saw the loss of, of, of some military servicemen, and I was just reading through the news, and um, there is a picture of one of the service members' casket coming home. And there's a picture of his mother kneeling before the casket mm-hmm. crying. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I suppose it's, it's the father that is behind her or another male support member. And he's just, you know, he has his hands on her shoulder and she's on her knees uh, <laughs> weeping before her child's casket. And I'm, I looked at that picture and I, I was just, I'm devastated because that could have been any of us. My husband has served in the military. Um, I have several family members that have served in the military. And, you know, but for the grace of God, they made it back home to American soil in one piece mm-hmm. physically. Maybe not emotionally all the time. You know, they do. But uh, to put that mother's grief on display, I just thought it yeah. was just too much. Yeah. Um, now yeah. that is going to be circulated and politicized around the but, world yeah. as, yeah. oh, we could have done this. This person didn't do their job. And it's like, listen, please give them the peace to grieve the loss of their child without the picture of this woman mourning openly being shot around the world for everyone to feel. And I, I don't know if we're trying to inject feeling. Like, are we trying to feel something because we're so, we're so desensitized that we keep putting these images out there? I don't know. But I just think that went across the line. I, I didn't think that was necessary. <clears throat> we lost. We felt that loss. We didn't need to really mm-hmm. see that. But that's what the media does. I mean, they they look for those outlets, for those opportunities. Um, You know, I'll never forget how the media came flying up in my mom's driveway, and she's calling me, telling me, you know, that the news is outside. And so, you know, as I walk over, you know, because I don't want them harassing my mom, you know, and the guy immediately, I mean, he's shoving the, the microphone, you know, in my face and the cameraman, you know, and you know, they, they are the ones coming to tell me instead of me hearing from the coroner's office what they're deciding to do. You know, he comes running up, you know, well, how do you feel about they're going to do the blah, blah, the coroners and, you know, all this other stuff. And I'm looking at him like he's crazy. Like, I haven't had the opportunity to process that. But they, they look for those opportunities to catch you off guard. It's like they have no sympathy, no empathy for what has happened in your life. They're only about catching the best story, the best photo, and this thing is played over and over again. It's like people um, have some type of excitement about looking at the way the person grieves, you know? Yeah, I, I, think, that, I think that's what we become as a country, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They always want to be the first to get the information. Mm-hmm. I had an advantage because they knew my name, but they didn't know my face. So I was able to go to seven funerals without disrupting the funerals. And I waited three months before I said a word because I was determined this wasn't going to be inter- interrupted or anything by me. So 
I kept quiet. I didn't say anything. Mm. They were in the yard. They were me, but when I came out, I came out looking like a different person. They didn't even know me when I came out of my own house. <laughs> wow. So I had it over them so I could go to the funeral mm-hmm. uh, and not be harassed by the news. Wow. So even that's a shame that you have to come out, you know, looking different to keep them from, you know, recognizing who you are. I mean, my God, can a person yeah. not grieve in peace? It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, and, and so that, that segues into the next question, you know, um, and this, this goes for, for both of you guys, you as well, other Shep, because, you know, how do you handle the repetitive reminders of your experience on, on anniversaries because the news, the media has not allowed any of this to rest. Every year there there is still something in um they don't they just don't give you guys an opportunity to deal with it, to to choose how you're gonna deal with that anniversary. They choose it for you. Because they, they, they highly publicize it. It's like they don't even think about what they're doing to you all. So how, how, do, you, how, how do you deal with that repetitive reminder, Elder, Elder Shep? Well, you, for us, we had to consider what that's going to look like for the future. Um, and then set your face as flint and, and deal with it and in hopes that what you gain is more momentum for the legacy that you're trying to create. And even that is a part of the grief process that you have to evaluate the outcome of what's going to happen, not just what's already happened, but what's going to happen through the actions of other people on an annual basis. And, um, and so you set yourself in a manner to know and expect that it's not going to be pretty, um, it's not going to be peaceful for you, uh, but there is um, there is a mission of making the legacy what it should be, and mm-hmm. giving a voice to to the child, uh, you know, to your loss, and um, mm-hmm. and trying to make sure that there are those out there who you can impact in a positive way because people are losing children on a regular basis and losing loved ones on a regular basis through this type of mm-hmm. tragedy and in hopes that you'll be able to at least steer them and point them into getting some type of help. Right, right. Mrs. Polly, how, how do you deal with the repetitiveness um, of the end of the anniversaries? It doesn't really um, bother me like Elder Shepherd said. It's the legacy. That I want people to know who these people were, mm-hmm. and the more, you, more I talk about them, the better it gets for me to be able to handle. I'm still dealing with what happened. So as I talk about it, it gets better and better and work on different things to make sure that these people are never forgotten. So the incident will never happen again. I, well, I can't say that because it's happening so often now. But yes, it's, ma'am. It's you have to make it known so you can work on different things for the betterment of our fellow man. Yes, and that people won't that their legacy will remain on in time, even after mm-hmm. we are gone. 
these incidents shouldn't be forgotten. Yes, so the anniversary okay. is keep it rolling around. It keeps it. You know how you have to keep the light on something to to actually bring it forward or bring it into fruition, so you can know. Um, actually, actually, what God can do out of tragedy, you know, <laughs> good things come out of tragedy, you know, good things happen out of tragedy. It's not all bad. That's right. Because good things can come out of it. And the anniversary is bringing it around and bringing it around and brings the, the memory of these people back and what they did in, in life. So I don't mind helping out. And I don't mind um, repeating it. But in our case, you didn't see any dead bodies. You just knew they were there. The judge made sure these people weren't seen in the state they were in, in that room. Um, so at least that part is not televised. So mm-hmm. it's a little better. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. not quite as, as, as bad, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Miss Polly, what what would you advise others to do um, to take care of themselves should they experience grief or traumatic grief? You need to stay busy for one thing. You you find a hobby and always find a hobby. Stay. Yeah, find a hobby. If you don't have a hobby, find something to do. Mm-hmm. Something dealing, a lot dealing with the public, fellowship with other people. Find out you find out that different people went through different things that you didn't even know. Um, then then you go. To meditation, maybe join a support group. I went to um, Ken Abbey, and I stayed for a week, and we went into contemplative, contemplative prayer. When you wake up five thirty in the morning, you would go and sit in this dark space and just talk to God for an hour and a half each morning, early in the morning, and you you'll find yourself. In the middle of that, and you hear small voices that talk to you, and you would know that that's God speaking to you as to certain things that you need to do to keep your sanity. You have to meditate. That's right. Right. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Elder Shep, yes, let me ma'am. ask you a question. Um, and this is, uh, well, I'm just going to ask the question. Um. How how do you be resilient? Hmm. You know, I don't think that it has a look when you're going through. Mm. Um, I don't think that you can evaluate how resilient you are when you're going through because you don't think about it from a place of being resilient. You really you really think about how how you're going to get through this day and find the strength to get through each day each moment. And, you know, old folks say, when I look back over my life, you know, that's when you can see how far you've come and how far God has brought you. Mm-hmm. But when you're going through it, you don't see it as much. You know, I think about it, and this is not the best analogy, 
but it is an analogy that we can kind of um, look to, uh, illustration that we can look to, especially now with the loss of the Marines that died in Afghanistan. But we all have seen the American flag fly, but we've also seen the American flag that has been beated, beat down through war and torn and dirty and dingy, mm-hmm. but, still, but still flying. And I think yeah. that's how resiliency looked to, to me, that even though it looks like we're flying, you can see the battle scars. You can hear it in our voice. You can hear it in our conversation, but we're flying still. And I think that's, you know, in a nutshell, what resiliency really looks like. When I hear Ms. Polly speak as a senior person, I hear not just her conversation and her wisdom, but to me it goes back even further to what we've come through as a people. Her voice yeah. speaks so clearly with so much wisdom. It speaks to the core of us, into our soul. And it yeah. says something about where we need to be as we age as black people and yeah. how we've overcome so much hurdles. There's something that needs to, there's a sound that needs to come out of us that sounds like Miss Polly. And um, I think our community needs that overall for us to be more resilient as a people and as we go through all these trials that we're facing on a daily basis. Yes, that's, that's a fact. Shamik, how do we be resilient? Well, I, I think um, I think that uh, uh, Ms. Shepard touched on a few things. She she was saying get a hobby, you know, mm-hmm. and things like that, things of that nature. Uh, she spent time uh, in prayer and just solitude. So some of the things that we can do are wrapped up in that. I think first you have to start to to build resilience in any capacity whether it's in your community, whether it's emotional, physical, psychological, you have to begin with self-awareness. To be self-aware is to not internalize an experience as this was solely about me or because of me. And that often happens when we we experience something that is tragic. I don't know about Mm -hmm. you, but growing up in, in the church, we often hear about a lot of uh, hellfire and brimstone if you do this, that, or the other. And so sometimes we think that we've done something so bad that God is punishing us. And we internalize right. our experience as something is wrong with me. So we have mm-hmm. to understand the experience outside of who we are. And a part of the self-awareness process is also noticing and, and, and recognizing when you have negative cognitions or thoughts, and you have to replace them with something positive. And um, that sounds like it's very simple. However, there are a lot of people that struggle with changing from the negative to the positive. So that's the first step that you have to take in resilience is to be self-aware. Then there's shutting out the noise. Uh, as Ms. Pauly said, that she, she took time and she went to Mepkin Abbey, um, and I believe that's in Mount Corner, South Carolina, and she just spent time, she spent a week there, and she was in contemplative prayer and just, you know, just shutting out the world. And sometimes we have to do that. We have to find our quiet place. We have to find our solitude, and we have to shut out the noise. And we have to practice self-care. Um, I, I remember one thing you said, Tyra, was like, you don't, you don't engage on social media because there's too many triggers and reminders, Right. 
Mm-hmm. Well, some people exercise. Some people, you know, go walking. Some people do different things for self-care. Some people get massage, massages. <laughs> some people <laughs> go uh, to chiropractors and they make sure their health is, is tip-top shape. So mm-hmm. that's also a part of your resilience is keeping your physical health intact and taking care of yourself. And and also knowing when to back out. That's also a self care tactic. Is you know knowing when to say this this sends my anxiety up and I can't deal right. with this. So I am going to you know take myself out of the equation. And uh, then there's building positive relationships. So like Miss Polly said, you know you may want to join a support group. You mm-hmm. may want to. Um, take up a hobby that you never have taken up that you can get other people engaged with you. You want to have a strong support circle, and you want to have people in that circle that are not judging how long it's taking your grief process, or they're right. not going to judge that moment where you you can't handle certain things. They're not going to judge the transparency. Just like uh, Ms. Shepard said, she, she said, you know, the other people in, in that were connected to the shooting, they were amongst the first to say, I forgive you. And she was saying that she was very contemplative about those words. She mm-hmm. took the time to really examine, is, is that where I am? So you need right. people around you that's going to say, I understand that process. I'm going to let you think about that and do that, and I am not going to judge you, whatever you may feel. Because I think right. in this situation, uh I know I've had situations where I've I've had experiences where I have asked God, well, why me, you know? Mm -hmm. And we don't always get to communicate that in a spiritual setting because many of us believe you're not supposed to question God. So, you know, you want people around you that aren't going to judge you saying, well, I don't understand why God did this and and, and I'm struggling here. You need people that are going to say, well, examine it. Take time with God. So you need positive relationships. And you also need to find your purpose. Uh, One of the things that I will note is uh, the Drayton family, uh, what is the name of the foundation you created for, Bianca? It's called the 3D Initiative, which is uh, her name, Bianca Deidre Drayton. Okay. Okay, so so that that's finding your purpose. Uh, the Drayton family created the 3D initiative in memory of Bianca to to help others and, and and young people who may have similar experiences to her, and and the same thing came out of the Emmanuel tragedy. Uh, Miss Polly Shepherd has a foundation called the Shepherd Foundation that is geared towards uh, scholarships for correctional nurses because she believes that there are people in this world who need to take care of a person like Dylan Roof, even, even, you know, even where he is right now. So she's created a foundation to, you know, put money, in scholarship, money into scholarships for people who want to go into correctional and forensic nursing. And we've seen that with most of the families from the Emmanuel 9. We uh, see... Uh, we have a uh, Reverend Daniel Simmons, who was a victim in, in the Emanuel shooting. His granddaughter created uh, the Hate Won't Win movement. Her name is Alana Simmons. She started the Hate Won't Win movement. And we have um, 
uh, Reverend Clemente family, they started the, the Pinkney Foundation. And we have uh, Cynthia Graham Hurd. They started a found her family started a foundation in her name. She was a librarian, so their foundation is geared towards helping teens uh, become more active readers. You have uh, Sharonda Coleman Singleton's son, Chris Singleton. He recently wrote a children's book. He's also a public speaker. He, you know, he he didn't let his grief get him down. He he took it and turned it into something else. And then you have uh, Dr. DePayne Middleton Doctor's family created a foundation in her name also. Taiwanza Sanders family created the the Taiwanza Legacy Foundation that gives out scholarships to children um, going to college. They also, I believe, they host also a business um, class or something like that for children. And all of these families, um, including yourself, Tyra, Pressure Points is your foundation to your son, right? So all of these instances, we can see where these families lost people. And that loss was so impactful. You have to take the time to figure out, what am I going to do with that pain? How do I turn this into God's purpose? And Mm -hmm. so... You know, to honor them, we sometimes will do something. So that's how you remain resilient. Find your purpose. Figure out the thing that you want to do. And and before I end my little speaking segment, I want to say their names again. Uh, Myra Thompson, Reverend Daniel Simmons, Reverend Clementa Pinkney, Cynthia Graham Hurd, Reverend Sharonda Coleman Singleton, Taiwanza Sanders, or as they used to call him, Fresh Wanza, Ethel Lance. Ms. Susie Jackson, the pain, Dr. DePayne Middleton, Dr. DePayne Middleton doctor, and Bianca Drayton. We lost all of these people and a Johnny, a Johnny Little. Mitchell. We lost all of these people. Mitchell, I'm sorry, a Johnny mm-hmm. Mitchell. Yeah. So we lost all of these people. But the purpose of even what we're doing right now is to strengthen our community, to, to teach ourselves that even though we experience loss, we still have the resilience to make it through, and we can talk ourselves through it. We can, we can show ourselves in a vulnerable state and, and get through this together. Right, right. And, you know, and in saying all that, <clears throat> you and I have had some conversations about just what happened with me last week. And, you know, even in, I think sometimes, I know for myself, I can be, I have to admit that, too hard on my own self. Um, you know, knowing that this is a process, grief is a process, it's, it's a lifelong process, um, but knowing to be kind to yourself also, that was one of the things that you that you said to me, you know. Um, this is definitely a process, it's a journey, um, but just like each of you have said, you know, we have to find different outlets, um, different ways to deal with it. And so... Um, this has been, I've learned a lot this month, even more about myself. And that's the whole thing. Um, we should always be a student of learning. Um, none of us know it all. This is the reason for a platform like this so we can get what we need because throughout life, there are different things that will trigger you. And you will have moments to where you may not always seem like that pillar of strength that everyone else may view you as, you know. Um, but when you have those moments, you have to be able to embrace it. And so the thing about this platform is trying to be resourceful to where 
you can at least know where to begin to look for some assistance or some help. So, um, man, this month of August has been um, really um, informative for me. Um, I'm so grateful that Shamik and Elder Shep stuck it out with me again. Thank you again, Miss Polly, for coming on. Um, you know, next month, next Tuesday, we'll be changing of the guards again. But I'm just, I'm grateful that you guys um, came on and was on for the month of August. And I just want to give each of you a moment to um, say something, uh, give your last minutes of wisdom to the listeners. So I'm going to start oh, with Elder Shep. Go, go ahead. Did you say something, Miss Polly? Yeah, I wanted to read a letter to you before. It's a letter that came from Joy Meeks. If you remember, um, Joy Meeks was one of Dylan Roof's partners. Yes, ma'am. Um, but he took the gun from me in the beginning, but then he gave it back to him. So I just <clears> wanted to read this letter um, that was hand-delivered to me. It yes, said, I am so sorry for the pain and suffering you endured during this terrible act of violence. I can't imagine what you went through that night and continue to, to go through every day. After much reflection and thought, I can't fathom how terrified you were that night and what you witnessed and heard during this unspeakable act. Words can't express to you how sorry I am for any part that I have played which resulted in your loss. I pray for you every day and that God continues to heal you and give you strength. I have found peace and strength through the First Baptist Church of Lexington. I have found the only way to do that is through my faith in God. I ask for your forgiveness, but I do not expect it. This is from Joy Meeks, one of the other partners. So, word is changing people. This, this letter was hand-delivered to me, so I couldn't even answer him and let him know that I did forgive him. There's no day, that, no that, was the, that was the young man who also was sentenced uh, right, Dylan, right. Because he knew about it, correct? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Wow. Wow. Elder Shep. Yes, ma'am. Any words of wisdom as we get ready to close out the month of August? Well, uh, I don't know about words of wisdom, but I can tell you that I have really appreciated being a part of this. Uh, I've learned so much, um, you know, over the week, over this last month, uh, just through conversation. I've experienced even more healing just in, mm-hmm. in conversation. Um, and I thank you, Shamik, for all of the wisdom. I've got notes everywhere from um, what <laughs> you have uh, uh, taught us and how you've counseled us even through the show. Um, yes. And Miss Miss Polly, you you spoke to the depth of my soul. Just to hear your voice mm-hmm. did something to me in my spirit. And um, um, and I thank you. And Tyra, thank you for for this, for 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 doing this for a Johnny and for all of us. Thank you so so much. Mm. Ooh. You are, you are, you are welcome. And, and, and thanks, Shamik. Shamik is actually my niece, you know. Wow. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. 
Yeah. <laughs> my niece, and I thank her for, for actually getting me to to do this because I really didn't want to, but she wow. talked me into it. Well, I'm glad that you accepted. I, I really am. Um, I can only imagine the different texts and phone calls that I'm going to get in regards to this. Um, your words have just been, um, whoo, just I just powerful um uh, you've given me chills um from the moment that you begin to to speak um and so again i'm just i'm i'm grateful i'm I'm very grateful um shamik you got anything you want to close us out for the month of august um well this this has been a very awesome experience um i i I I think that God always puts you in place to do something because he needs you to do it. Um, I've always been a person who was thoughtful and, you know, kind of can give advice and things of that nature. But I do believe that being a counselor is not just, you know, for me, a clinical thing. It's a spiritual thing. Um, I think that this is just what God has called me to. So I just, you know, I'm grateful for for God being allowed to use me in this situation. Um, mm-hmm. And I just want to encourage everyone to understand that, uh, you know, sometimes in our community we are not as open to the clinical experience, but more often than you will find, there are you can find a counselor that looks like you, no matter where you are from or what you look like. You can find Asian counselors, Hispanic counselors, Black, Samoan. You can find a counselor that looks like you to process and release all of these things because I think when we hold these things in, they can actually uh, destroy us. And I just want to say that um, the Drayton family, you are definitely an inspiration um, to people who will come behind you, who will have similar experiences um, to be able to um, share your message and talk about how impactful the loss of Bianca was on you and, and, you know, the things that you went through to rebuild after that, to finding your voice and being resilient and starting your foundation in her memory. I think that um, your strength is one that is worthy to be talked about for a very, very long time. I encourage you to do more open speaking about your experiences, both you and your wife. I think your your message needs to be heard by the masses. Um my aunt Polly. She didn't have to say she was my aunt, but she is my aunt. Um, <laughs> who, who, who's married to my 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 grand uncle James, Mr. James Shepherd, my grandfather's brother. Um, uh, she is she is a, a an inspiration. I often will tell people about my aunt while I'm counseling them through a PTSD situation because I always talk about her resilience through the situation and how she prayed and got through it and how she also sought counseling and got through it and how she just centered herself to do God's work because not only is she speaking with us here today, she speaks all over the world encouraging people. Um, to be more resilient, to not let their situations be their downfall. And and she may not know this, but she is an inspiration to many because I tell many people about her and about her strength and how she is unflinching in the face of things that should be fear that should make her fearful. She does not flinch. She just perseveres through uh, with the voice of God on her shoulder. So I just want to thank you, Tyra, for this platform. I encourage you all to continue to tell your story. I encourage you, if you need uh, a therapist 
look for one. There's many ways to find one. I, I think Tara has my information out there. Should you need to contact me, I am not accepting new clients because I'm a bit of busy, but um, I may be able to direct you in the right direction. I have lots of friends who are counselors who are looking for new clients, people who are starting practices. So if you reach out to me, I will help point you in the right direction at least. Um, to, to aid in whatever you need. Tyra, again, thank you again for this experience. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, this is Pressure Points Unpacked, and I'm your host, Tyra Little, and we will be back next Tuesday starting a new month and a new lineup. So Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to getting back with you all next Tuesday. It's already done.